0: My name is David, and that's my wife, Michelle. She is in El Salvador right now doing a missions trip, a medical missions trip with a couple out of Oklahoma City. They go and they, uh, they go to a new church there in San Salvador, and they preach a, a revival for a week, and then they do medical outreach at the same time, and the people that they touch, they plug into that church. So that's church growth and church revitalization the biblical way. And so she's there doing that now, and so I'm going to get to do her part, and maybe I'll do good, maybe I won't. But <laughs> It's funny that I saw the, the, the video before you guys doing so much in the community, right? And, and mission starts here. Right. Now, it doesn't mean that you got to uh, stay here. Right, you can, you can simultaneously do this and do that over there at the same time, and that's kingdom. right? If we waited until we got everybody in this building right and everybody in this city right and everybody in this county right before we went overseas, nobody would ever go. So it's, it's an all-inclusive thing. But all heart, we started in Oklahoma City with that. We were in the pews just like you guys. Didn't have a microphone, didn't have a pulpit, didn't have a title, didn't have anything. I just had a fire in my heart. And Pastor was telling me when he came back to the Lord, that it was radical. And it was the same thing with me. I was saved as a child, but I came back to the Lord. And it's like, it's just ever since. And I just, you know. But from the time we started, we knew that it was going to be a family thing. So we know that God calls the whole family, He ain't just called me and Michelle. And so from the beginning, we've been telling these guys, you guys need to think about what it is that you want to do when you get off to Africa. I mean, they're going to go to school. They're going to be regular kids, but they got something on them that's more than that. And I'm going to share a little bit of that with you. But they, they always give them the opportunity to speak. And so we'll see. Bryden, you going to talk first? Braden first. Hi, my name is Bryden. I'm 13 years old. And I really have a passion to see people healed. So I think God's going to use me in that area. is Callie. I'm 10 years old, and I'm excited to go to Africa and go to school and make friends and tell them what God's done for me. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Tell me your name. <laughs> What's your name? Hi. 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 <laughs> so we have these cards here, and um, these are our missionary cards, and I wouldn't be a very good missionary if I didn't bring my missionary cards with me. So as you guys was coming through the door, maybe you got one of these, maybe you didn't. But if you didn't get one and you want one, you guys can raise your hands. And before the the girls get out of here, they're just going to pass out some cards. So if you need a card, they'll give you one. And uh, I don't know if you can get that thing to, to roll or not, but you guys can look at it behind me. I'm not going to go through every picture. But we started in Oklahoma City. And... Uh, Man, it's kind of a funny thing, <clears throat> growing up my whole life in church, I didn't really believe everything that the Bible said. I didn't say I didn't believe it, but I didn't live it and didn't really understand it. So one day God revealed to me that as a saint, as one who has the Holy Spirit inside of him, if you see somebody who's sick, if you see somebody who has bodily injury or something, if you'll go and you'll believe and you'll lay hands on them, they'll recover. Right? And that's not just for those with the gift of healing, that's for everybody. The Bible says these signs follow those who believe. So ever since we started praying for the sick, we've just been looking for an avenue to do it. And so we started in downtown Oklahoma City. And the very first sermon that I ever preached in my life, you guys know that public speaking is the number one biggest fear in America, right? And you know the second one is dying, <laughs> right? Folks would rather die than speak in public. Well, anyway, so I did church under the bridge. And what that is is I-40 runs through Oklahoma City, and they do a church underneath the bridge and it's for the homeless, and each church every week will just sponsor it and give the food, and somehow I bring the, the message, and I was foolish enough, and God said, do it, and so I went, and I preached my very first message underneath the bridge. Started out with about 40 or 50 people, but as the homeless people get their food and they clothes, they leave, so I had about five minutes to grab them, right. but we did it, and uh, my wife started volunteering with this organization in Oklahoma City uh, called No Boundaries, and they just work with Sex-trafficked women. Now, even in Oklahoma City, that stuff goes down. That's right. And uh, they rented a little firehouse, an old fire station in, in the bad part of Oklahoma City. They fixed it up, and they did outreach out of there. And we, we worked with the girls who were on the street. We even worked with the guys who worked the girls. We worked with the guys who bought the girls. Right? We, all of them, because God wants them all. Right. But they're all deceived. Amen. All of them. And so we did that, and and I have a friend who's a pastor with the Salvation Army, and every Thursday night they would go out, and they would feed the homeless. So, man, it was like three nights a week. We were just out on the streets of Oklahoma City, underneath bridges, places most folks don't want to go. People were like, David, is that dangerous? And I was like, do you know who my father is? David. Right? So we just went everywhere, and we took these guys with you. These guys have no problem kneeling in street scum and just stuff on the ground and praying for they went underneath bridges and Brayden says that he has a heart to see people healed and that's because he's seen it and he's done it and uh one of our things we did to be uh outreachy or whatever we just got a ice chest full of popsicles and in Oklahoma it gets hot and we went to a apartment complex in Oklahoma City, and it was just a really kind of really low economic area, right in the heart of the, of the drug trafficking and then the women trafficking. And we just went door to door knocking on doors giving away popsicles, asking if we could pray for people. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brayden was with me and another young kid named Zach, his 19-year-old kid, I didn't really even know him. And we saw this woman on the staircase, we was like, "Ma'am, you know, we're just giving out popsicles to the people that live in the apartments, could we get you a popsicle? You know, it's really hot. And she said, well, we don't live here, we're just making ready this apartment. And we said, well, that's fine, we'd love to give you one anyway. And she said, okay. So we gave everyone. one. said, now, do you have anything that we can pray with you about? Do you have any pain in your body, anything going on? And she just kind of stood there, and then she looked up at the top of the stairs, and her son was there, and she goes, tell him. And he goes, no. She goes, tell him. And he said, you know, I got in a car wreck like two weeks ago, and I can't move my shoulder. And we said, well, can we pray for you? And he said, yeah, come on up. So. Zach and me and Braden went up there, and this other woman that was with us, and we went inside the, uh, the apartment they were making ready, and we was like, well, what shoulder is it? And he said, it's this one. I can't move it. You know, it got into a car wreck. So this kid, Zach, that was with me, I said, man, just put your hands on his shoulder and tell it to be healed. He goes, what do I say? I said, you just say, in Jesus' name, be healed. So he put his hand on the, on the young guy's shoulder and said, in Jesus' name, be healed. And this kid's eyes bugged out, and he went like this. And he started asking us, what, what did you do? What did you do? Because his arm was healed, just like that, right there. And we was like, we didn't do anything. Jesus Christ did. He lives in us. He flows through us. We're just extensions of him. And so we started telling him about who, who he was and who Jesus says he was. And he's just removing that arm the whole time. And then his mother standing there with her jaw dropped. And we're like, well, ma'am, do you have anything we can pray for you about? Do you have any pain in your body? And she says, no, no. And I said, are you sure? She said, well, I, I was in a car accident, not with him, a different one, and my back really hurts bad. So Braden was, what are you, son, maybe 9 or 10? I said, "Braden, it's your turn. You pray for her back. He's like, Dad, I don't know what to say. I said, well, I'll whisper it in your ear. And so you guys write this down because this is really crucial that you get these words right. In Jesus' name, back be healed. Amen. That's right. Okay, so those are fancy words. Right. So he put his hand on that one back and I said just say that And so he said Jesus ain't back be healed pain go and we stepped back and said how's it feel and she just started crying and crying and crying and when she finally got her breath she said his hand was so hot on my back and the pain was gone and she was healed and her son's shoulder was healed and I'd like to tell you that they came to church next Sunday gave life to the Lord and now they're preaching in South Oklahoma City I can't say that I don't know what happened with them Right? But I know the kingdom of God is if a man does what? As he casts seed. Right. So when he says that he is, I promise you guys, if you've got something going on in your body, you have this young man pray for you, and it's not because he's special. Right. He's, just, he's just naive enough to believe what this book says. Amen. So that's for all of you guys. Wherever you're at, you know what? And if you pray for somebody and they don't throw their cutches, to, it doesn't make any difference. Right. You're obedient, and you do. And a lot of times the fact that you're just displaying God's love to people is enough to change lives. Amen. We prayed for a lot of people in Home Depot and Walmart. These women are always in Home Depot and Lowe's got these wrist braces on because they all got carpal tunnel and stuff like that. Man, we pray for their wrists, and they go, okay, thank you, and they walk away. You, know, you don't know what that conversation is in the back. Man, there's a guy out there. He just prayed for my wrist. You know, I'm believing that the woman's going, and it's healed. But even if it ain't, she's got to deal with what's in her heart. Why is he doing that? Right. What did he gain? A lot of times I don't gain anything. A lot of times I get told, leave me alone. I don't want you to pray for me. Right. Come on. Now, if you step out like that, people are going to step back on your toes. But We're going to talk about how to deal with that. So <clears throat> that's a rabbit trail. Anyway, so we started out in Oklahoma City doing this with these same girls that uh, we worked with on the strip in Oklahoma City is what they called. They used to go back and forth to Sierra Leone, West Africa and do mission trips. And so they hadn't been in four or five years. And I was asking, man, you know, I want to go. You girls are always talking about this. I want to go. I want to go. So we went. Now, we had been to Ireland a few years before that. And we had been to Guatemala and uh, and done a missions trip too. But this one to South Africa is what really changed our lives. And we got over to South Africa, and, and we were fortunate enough to uh, – to get to preach the gospel in the hospitals, to get to go to villages. We got to go to a prison, we got to go to jail. Man, one of these girls that we were with just got a bullhorn and we would just sit on the corner and she would just click the bullhorn and just start talking about Jesus until a crowd came around. And when the crowd came around, while one person was telling about Jesus, the rest of us was just laying hands on them in the crowd. And man, and I got story after story after story of folks being healed, pain. I mean, these guys are Muslims, right? The country is 60, 70% Muslim and Christianity is only a small portion. But there ain't, there ain't no power in Muhammad. Right. He ain't going to heal your back. He ain't going to reduce your fever when you've got malaria, which like 90% of the people in that country have, right? And when you say, hey, can I pray for you? You know, you think that they're going to pull their sword out of their gun. No, no, they're like, yeah. And we're like, in Jesus Christ's name, pay and go. Amen. So just like here in the United States, there's a lot of people who say they're Christians. There's a lot of people who say they're Muslims that just because their mother was a Muslim and their grandma was a Muslim. You know, and in Oklahoma, if your mom was a Christian and your dad is a Christian and your sister is a Christian, you're a Christian. Right? Ain't that what we think? But that ain't how it is. So anyway, we got to do a lot of different things. Michelle took an OB simulator, which is like you put it on and it like simulates a baby being born. I didn't know that much about it. If she was here, she could tell you about it. But I know this health outpost right here. It was for 16 villages. There was no electricity. There was no running water. There was no chickens running through the door and stuff. So healthcare over there is a big deal. And my wife is a pediatric nurse, and she has a master's degree. She teaches it, and she done it. So she knows pretty much everything there is to no know about sick children. And that's what God's going to use her for. That's what she's doing right now in El Salvador. So we we went to South Africa. Got back from South Africa. And the Lord just put it on our hearts. We were at a baseball game. I was coaching Braden's team, and she's watching on the sidelines, and she's sitting on the Lord just working her and working her. And after it's over, she comes up to me. She goes, David, we're, we're supposed to go to South Africa. What, she actually said Sierra Leone. She goes, we're supposed to go back to Africa. God's called us to go to Africa. Do you feel like that's what he's saying? And I was like, yeah, it sounds right to me. <laughs> so you know what it says? If, if you delight in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. See, what we didn't know was is he wasn't giving us the desires of our heart. He was giving us his heart and then giving us the desires of his heart in us. So when you have his heart in you, then the desires of your heart or his heart, you never go wrong. It's an easy thing to do. So we called World Missions, and uh, we told them we want to go. We're sold out. And they said, okay, well, you can't have any debt. We said, okay, fine, we'll sell our house. Well, you can't have any any kind of overhang. That's why we got rid of our business. I mean, we just did it. Right? And, you know, people say, well, oh, well, how did you do that? Well, it's easy because he's in me, and he said, do it. And I love him, and I'm going to do what he tells me to. Amen. But Sierra Leone wasn't an option for world missions because in world missions, they want a new missionary to go with some seasoned missionaries, which is very smart. She said they've had a rash of missionaries come onto the field and say, we want to go here, and they send them, and then they come home with their tail between their legs because they haven't had a, a foundation. So there's no missionaries in Sierra Leone. So they're moving us over to South Africa for our first term for three years. And in South Africa, the IPHC has a base right there in Johannesburg, which is the capital, and it reaches 16 different countries. And there's only four missionaries in those 16 countries. And so the regional director, his name is Joe Delport, he's responsible for those 16 countries, and that's who we're going to go work with. And as he moves in and out of these countries, we're going to move in and out of these countries with him, and we're going to find our foothold, and then that's what we're going to do. And so what we do as missionaries is we go from church to church and we offer you guys an opportunity to sow. No, we're not asking you to pay my rent. There is a field over there that the Lord owns and that he's operating in and that he's offering opportunities for you to plant your seed in his garden. And I promise you, if you plant your seed in his garden, it will reap. We're just working in the garden. So he's put us kind of in charge of the garden or whatever. And we're just giving you guys an opportunity. So these cards here are just faith commitment cards, and on one part of it is, uh, we just ask that you guys pray about this, and if the Lord tells you, yeah, this is where I want you to plant your seed at, you just put your name on it and you fill it out, and there's some numbers there that World Missions puts on you put whatever number God puts you in your heart, and there's no number too low. We have $5 a month givers, we have $10 a month givers, whatever, so and uh, you just put your name and your address and all that kind of stuff on it, and uh, just give it to us after service. Or if you go home and you pray about it, and you come back next Sunday, and God says, yeah, you just give it to pastor, and he'll get hold of us and send it in to us however you want to. Yeah, <laughs> cash, he says. <laughs> well, on the other side of it is just a little information about us. You rip this in half, it's perforated. And even, you know what, if, if we're not your guy, that's okay. Take this and pray for us. Put it on your refrigerator. Remember our faces. Because a lot of people, my brother-in-law is one. He's like, man, I don't know how you go from church to church like this. I don't know how you go from church to church like this. Because if we didn't go church to church, like, I would never met these folks. And I would never get to meet you guys. Right? This is a team effort. When I'm in heaven one day and God says, come up and get your reward for all the lives, and there are going to be lives changed in Africa Everybody who wrote a $10 check or $5 check is going to be up there and they're going to be standing right with me. And they get the exact same reward as I get for going. Right? Brother Terry Trammell is the head of World Missions, is he's one of the heads of World Missions, and he once said that there's there's three types of believers. There's those that go, there's those that send, and then there's the third ones, and those are the ones who sin. So you're either going or you're sending. And that's just kind of how it is. I didn't say that he did. You guys can look him up online and get onto him for that if you want, but all right, so just just hold on to these. And take it home pray over it. That's the most important thing. God's got it. I was actually on the way here from Dublin is where we're staying at, and I'm and I'm driving. I mean, I'm not supposed to be concentrating on the road, but man, it's just so pretty here. We don't have the mountains in Oklahoma. And I'm looking off to the side and and I see a hill with cattle. And so you know what I'm thinking? God owns that hill. And he owns another 1,000 hills and all the cattle on all the hills, right? So he's already got this budget figured out. So you guys don't sweat it. Don't go home and and feel good. Feel feel good, but don't feel bad if this isn't for you. But if not us, somebody. And that's my pitch. So now we'll talk about who you guys really came here to talk about, and that's him. Man, you know, you think you know what you're going to say, and then you sing some songs, and you listen to him talk a little bit, and I could go a hundred different ways with a hundred different things. But kind of what's on my heart is this, that Christianity, sometimes people, I didn't always understand what it meant. You know, I I was little, and they was like, come down front, say the prayer, put this ticket in your pocket, and when the trumpet blows, you know where you're going, right? Right? And then just pray, get me out of here one day. I've learned since then, that's not Christianity. Right, Christianity means to be transformed. Right, when I, when I got saved, I wasn't even looking for the Lord. I was only going to church because my wife wanted me to. Because he was little and she said, our kids are going to be raised in church. I was getting drunk and, and doing drugs and all that kind of stuff. I and mean, we wasn't living underneath the bridge, I had a business. But I was getting drunk every day. And I was in church. I didn't want to go to church. I was just doing it to keep peace with the family. But the Lord had a plan. And when he dropped me down that aisle, I came down to the front, and I I didn't pray, Father, take me to heaven one day. I prayed, I don't want my life anymore. I want what you have for me. And I was transformed that day. You know, transformed like a, a caterpillar into a butterfly. It ain't the same thing no more right cuz teaching salvation apart from transformation is just a perversion of the gospel exactly right. without transformation there is there is no salvation and and I'm not going to I'm not going to talk about transformation a whole lot but I am going to tell you this there's an author named Dallas Willard And he says, transformation, spiritual transformation is this. It's the process of forming the inner world of a human, inner world of me, in such a way that my inner world takes on the characteristics and inner being of Jesus himself. And the result that my outer life now increasingly becomes a natural expression of the inner reality of Jesus in me. Doing what he did, saying what he said, increasingly becomes more part of who I am. That's what transformation literally means, and if you look it up in a Greek Bible, it's like this. You guys remember Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, and it says He was transfigured right there before them. Well, transfigured, if you look it up in the Strong's Concordance, it's the same as transformed, right? You know, in Romans twelve two, where it says, uh, "Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed for the renewing of your mind." It's the same word. So when he was transfigured on that mountain, if you read it in the Greek, it says this, and the man is talking about Jesus, and the manner of his outward expression was changed before them. And now his expression was one that was coming from and representative of what's on the inside. So that's why his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light, because the inner reality of who he was now came on the outside, and he was transfigured before them, right? And how many of you guys know whatever Jesus did, we're supposed to do? He was transfigured, so we're supposed to be transfigured, right? And if you read it in in Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means let the reality of what's on the inside come to the outside. It's just a simple way of saying it. Now, Wanting love and wanting mercy and wanting forgiveness and wanting justice from God without wanting to become love, mercy, forgiveness, and justice. Wanting the things of God without wanting to become who he is, it's just idolatry. Right? So if you're coming to the Lord for what he can give you instead of who he is, you're going to have some issues in life. Because Pastor touched on it. Luke 14 says this. Jesus sees the multitudes following him, right? Right? And he's walking with his office. he's like, wait a minute, something ain't right here. Mm -hmm. So he turns around, and he says, hey, you know what? If any man comes after me, he has to deny himself. He has to pick up his cross, and he has to follow me. If any man loves his wife, his son, his sister, his mother, his mother, more than he loves me, and if you read it in the Greek, it says, in the event that it interferes with his supreme love for me, you can't be my disciple. Amen. Jesus said that. Right? He didn't turn around to all the multitude following him, says, Come on, let's just all go. He's like, No, we're gonna thin the herd here for a little. Because if you're not really in it for what I don't want you because you're just gonna be just like a king who says, I'm gonna go to war, but then later says, eh, you know what? Let's go make peace. Or I'm gonna build this big, big castle and then oh, I don't have enough, and that way he's gonna laugh at you, right? Don't even start down the road. So there's so many different aspects about about God that I, that I could hit on, and, and I'm done with that. I just want to talk about this. It's all about love. Love is at the core of who God is, right? It's his. It's his. It's it's. The Bible says that God is love. Doesn't say he invented love. Doesn't say that he shows. Says he is love, right? And in Genesis it says what when God was deciding whether or not he was going to make us, you guys remember from Bible school? Let's make man in our what? According to our likeness. Let's make man in our image, in our own image. So what that means is God wasn't in the the garden one day messing with some dirt and accidentally breathed on it and up jumped a man, and he said, okay, well, that's good. Right? No, he made us the way he wanted to make us, in his image according to his likeness, right? Right? So in the beginning, Adam was just like God in his image according to his likeness, right? Don't don't hear what I'm not saying. He wasn't God. And we're not talking about five fingers and five toes in his image, right? So when Adam wasn't in the garden kicking fruit and yelling at Eve and all full of anxiety and anger and stuff, right, that wasn't him. But along comes Satan, right? And he whispers in Eve's ear. Did God really say? And You guys pay attention to that because there's a lot of folks out there right now. Did God really say? Watch TV. It's some weird stuff. 20, 30 years ago, the stuff they're saying on TV, you wouldn't even... Did God really say? That if you eat from that fruit, you'll die. And what does he say? Yeah, you can't eat from, you can't even touch the tree, or you'll die. And what does he say? No, you won't die. He knows as soon as you eat from this, you're going to be what? Just like him. Well, she already was just like him, created in his image according to his likeness, right? Come on now. So she believes the lie. Don't you believe the lie? Because he's going to lie to you every single day, maybe lie to you right now. That's what he does best. So what does she do? The Bible says she saw that the... I'm, I'm like looking up at the tree. The fruit is good for food, and good for for wisdom don't after she took a bite of that don't you think she'd like to give back that wisdom right so she eats it and i've often thought who knows did that wisdom hit her right then and she still gave it to him Bible just says they ate and then their eyes were opened right so who knows anyway so she gives it to adam and they fall over dead and the story's over no they didn't die well i thought when you ate from the fruit you would die well what did die What died in him? Well, I'll tell you what died in him. What's the next scene in in this story? God's in the garden looking for him, right? Adam, Adam, where are you? What does he say? We're hiding because I'm naked and I'm afraid. And so, what does God say? Did yeah? Who told you? Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat from? And what does Adam say? this woman you gave me, this woman you gave me, right? So what's he doing? He's, uh, he's uh, self-protecting, he's self-defending, he's blame-shifting. I don't know whose fault it is, but it ain't mine. It's probably hers, could be yours, you gave her to me. Not my fault. Come on now, ain't that the story that's being sung every day in the United States and all around? It ain't my fault. All right, so what died? the image that God put in him. Amen. He just moved from the kingdom of selflessness into the kingdom of selfishness. Right. And now it was all about him. Mm-hmm. Man got cut off from the source of love right there in garden, and now most folks are just in desperate need of love. Yeah. We were created to be love. The garden happened, and now most folks are in just in desperate need of love. But God had a plan, right? You guys know the story of the Zacchaeus, the wee little man. The wee little man was he, climbed up in a sycamore tree. You guys know that one, right? So, so the story, at the end of the story, what does Jesus say in Luke 19? The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the that? That, what you was in the garden in the beginning, Right? The that that was in the garden from the beginning, in its love. That's Christianity. That's a quick gospel presentation. Amen. Christianity is bringing us back to what we were originally created to—to to our original purpose, our original value, what we were created to be in the beginning, right? But we were all born into Adam. After that, Bible says what? <laughs> you got to be born again. So, when you accepted Christ, you really were supposed to be transformed back into what we were in the beginning, and that's love. And one of the best definitions of love that we can find in the Bible is found in 1 Corinthians 13. You guys ever been to a wedding? I'm sure you've heard it, right? This is the love that we're always talking about, you know, and and it's it's the, it's the, it's the... The husband and the wife, love, is holding your daughter's hand and stuff. But I'm going to tell you right now, love is way, way more than that. It's way more important, and it's way more strong. And I'm just going to give you guys a different angle at it. If you know this angle, amen it. Sharpen yourself up and go. But If you don't, listen. Because this can be, for me, it was a life-changing thing. Right? And I'm going to talk about this, love, in an offensive and a defensive type of love. You guys know football around here, right? Right? There's an offense and there's a defense. So what's the defense's job? It's to hold back the offense. There's somebody out there trying to take ground. Right? We're supposed to hold him back. And then on the other end, when it's our turn to take offense, we take back what he has stolen. We take back the ground that he has taken. And we're going to do this by the power of love. This is the sword in our belt. This is our most powerful weapon. It's the thing, in my opinion, of Christianity. It's love. So I'm just going to read this to you, and I'm going to read it to you out of a Greek translator Bible, but it's 1 Corinthians 13. It's going to be a little bit more in it, but anytime you change languages, you've got to add more words sometimes. And Michelle and I had the opportunity in Oklahoma City to speak in some sober living houses. You're to know what a sober living house is. It's kind of like a rehab, but they do it in a house. All the people live in the same place, and then maybe they'll go work for the guy, do fencing and stuff during the day. When we got the opportunity to go there, this is what I would preach to them. And I would say, every time that I read the word love, You put your name in it, because that's who you are. So love meekly and patiently bears ill treatment from others. Love is kind, it's gentle, it's benign, it's pervading, it penetrates the whole nature. It mellows everything which would be harsh and austere. Love is not envious. Love does not brag, nor does it show itself off. Love is not ostentatious. Love does not have an inflated ego. It does not act unbecomingly. Love doesn't seek after the things which are its own. It's not easily irritated or provoked or exasperated or aroused to anger. Love does not take into account the evil which it suffers from others. Love does not rejoice in inequity but rejoices in the truth. Love endures all things, believes all things, hopes all things, bears up under all things. Love never loses heart nor courage. And love never fails. That's a mouthful. There's your about a three-month sermon series right there. This is who we're called to be. Right, we could fill up every church in Virginia this Sunday. It may or may not make any difference in the community. But if everybody sitting in church would get this, right. that this is who you were created to be originally, this is who you are, oh, I promise you it would change things. Amen. It would change things in your heart. It would change things with your spouse, your kids, co-workers. Right. Everybody's got a sphere. This is a big deal. So the first, the first love we're going to talk about is defensive love, right? This thing is going to protect you. When we're walking in love, when we're, when we're doing in the things that this says, it's like a big hedge of protection around us. It's like a gate or a fence, right, or just a hedge. It protects us from the detrimental things that the world's going to say, from circumstances of the world, from the things that he's trying to do. Right? It's going to protect you. Right? You guys ever invited any, anybody in here ever invited anybody to come to church? You ever tried to share your testimony with somebody? Now when you ask that person to come to church, ever anybody tell you no? Say no hard? Maybe say some things to you you didn't like? Right? It's real easy to get your feelings hurt. Real easy to say, oh, well, you know what? I ain't going to invite that person back to church again. If you want to burn, burn. I ask you. I ain't doing it no more. Right? Come on now. You just jumped out of that hedge of protection, and now you're out here. Because if you're touchy, you're going to get touched. Right? Right? Mm -hmm. So what's going to protect you is that it's not about you. Now you've jumped back inside of the fence. So when they tell you this or that or this or that and say that whatever it was they said to you, it doesn't affect you because now you've jumped in that hedge of protection, and it's love. Because love doesn't take into account the wrong suffered. Love doesn't seek the things that are its own. Love meekly and patiently bears ill treatment from others, right? you see how this is going to protect you? It's going to protect your heart so that you can go out and you can keep doing this. Because you're not going to be able to bite your lip and fake it. Folks are going to catch you off guard and they're going to say things to you when you're not ready. This has got to, it, it, it's not got to become who you are, it already is who you are. Whether you want to admit it or not, it's who you were made to be. We don't have to pray for God, give me love. No, God, just stir up what you've already put inside of me, because it's already there. So this defensive love is going to protect us. It's our defense. And I'm going to look at just three aspects of it. The first one is this. I already said it. Love does not seek after the things which are its own. It means that you're not saved for you. It's not your life. It's his life in you. It means that you're dead to self. Do you guys know you gotta die to be a Christian? Daily. Right? Every day you gotta die. And you know that dead folks don't have feelings. Go to us, go to a funeral next time. Make fun of his suit, poke him, flip his hat off his head. He's not gonna say nothing because he's dead. Right? That's a dead being dead is a powerful thing. Your dead folks can't touch you, they can't hurt you. Charles Spurgeon, you guys ever heard of him? He said self is the worst enemy that a Christian has. It's true. It's true. Not Satan. Yeah. Right? Come on, I can go the rest of the service without saying his name. I can go the rest of the week. I can go the rest of the month. I don't have to talk about him. Right. But I can't go five seconds without who God puts in front of me and the things that's in my heart. Yeah. Come on, if God was to snap his fingers right now and the devil turned to dust and his spirit be annihilated from all here, we still got all this crap. Come on. So, I mean, he, he's an enemy. But the Bible says he's a a, a shriveled and and drying branch, right? He's the only one out there that's hopeless. He's the only one that's hopeless. Everybody else has still got a chance except him. So he loves it when he can take people made in the similitude of God and make them hopeless. And it's just a huge lie, and it devastates people. Author Dallas Willard says this, being dead to self is the condition where the mere fact that I don't get what I want doesn't surprise me, doesn't offend me, and it has no control over me. It's simply giving back to God what was never yours in the first place, and that's your life. That's right? Because right? I know this, when I was living for me, oh, life was a mess. Right? Even when I got saved, it was, it was, uh, it was the gospel for me, it was small group for me. It was uh, worship for me, the church for me, God for me. It was all about me, 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 me. Right. right? My wife likes to tell me this story where they had a play at church. And I always get it wrong, but she's not here, so I don't care. <laughs> and this guy's part, he didn't, he didn't have a speaking part. He didn't have a singing part. He didn't have a title. He didn't get to say nothing. He was just tree number four. And his job was to stand over in the corner like this, and stick his hands out like a tree. And when they pointed at him, shake his leaves. That was his job in the play. Right? He wasn't the star of the show. Now, this is Christianity. Who's the star of the show? Hold on. for yes, It ain't you. Who's the star of the show? Come on. That's an easy one. You may not have a speaking part. You may not have a title. You may not get to sing. You may not get to do that. You may just be tree number four, and your job is just to shake your leaves. Right. And you're not shaking your leaves so next to you you can get a speaking part. <laughs> you're shaking your leaves because that's your job and because you love him and that's what you've been called to do. And you know what? God has put an important job in that. You don't see it. You see this. You don't know what happens when all those things fall from your fingers. That's good. So I, everybody's got a part to play. And when it's not about you, it's freeing. It takes all of the onus off of you, right? Because yeah. I can get free from you now I'm free from me that's right. so I'm here just to love on you I don't need you I'm here to love you and it's a big deal it takes it's power it's like if if my boss was to give me a presentation he wrote it up he gives it to me he says now you deliver it to these folks I pick it up and I read it to you guys and as soon as I'm done reading it you laugh and you snicker and you say that's the stupidest thing that I've ever heard yeah. it's not gonna hurt my feelings I didn't write it That's right. <laughs> it's a small glimpse of the gospel It's not supposed to hurt your feelings because it ain't about you. And when it ain't about you, that's a strong and powerful place to be. So the next one is this. Love meekly and patiently bears ill treatment from others. Anybody in here have been ill treated by somebody else? (laughs) Kind of a daily occurrence, isn't it? But if we would get this, wake up every day knowing that Nobody owes you nothing. Come on now. Nobody owes you anything. But Romans 13 says this. "Owe no man, anything. (laughs) Shout him out when you know him, brother. (laughs) Except to love. You owe your brother to love him. You owe him to love him. (laughs) He doesn't owe you. You owe him. It's not I love you. Do you love me? It's I love you, right? Can you see God's in it? I love you. Do, do you love me? <laughs> Come on. It's I love you. I don't care, right? How do you know God's love for you? It's not based on your circumstances. It's not based on whether he was there when you thought he needed. God's love is measured by the cross. If he didn't love you, why would he have sent his son to die for you when you didn't care for him? If we would wake up every day to be loved and not wake up every day to be loved, that's, that's what we were intended to do. You guys, anybody in here got a, a job that you don't particularly like because the people at your job aren't saved? <laughs> <laughs> right? Anybody got a, Anybody got a kind of a harsh boss? Mother-in-law, father-in-law, sister-in-law, whatever, right? These people are in your lives. <laughs> and you're going to get treated, you're going to get rubbed wrong by the world because the world do not understand us. Jesus said nobody, they didn't like me, they're not going to like you either. Right. If you're doing it right, right. they ain't going to like you neither. Right. And that should be an increasing thing. You ought to be able to rub folks wrong because your fire is going to locate people. Right. It will locate them. It'll even locate Christians sometimes. (laughs) But if you're living for the way people, if you're only doing as good as folks are treating you, then you're only doing as good as folks are treating you. It's a a, a hard place to be. Only doing as good as folks are treating you? Phew. folks are lost yeah. if you need people to congratulate you and pat you on the back and tell you good things about you uh to make you well then as soon as they take those things away from you the same people that have the power to make you now have the power to break you yeah. right now they're molding fashioning they have authority do you know whatever has authority over your life that molds you direct direct directs you and guides you well that's the definition of lord We were on vacation not too long ago. <clears throat> Since she's not here, I'll tell her. You ever tell stories on your wife? Okay. Here's a good one. So we went into the store, and uh, I grabbed a cup of coffee. Didn't get her a cup of coffee. So she comes back. She goes, you got coffee? And I was like, yeah. Where's mine? I was like, oh, hold on. I'm still at the front. I can get it. Said, no, 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 I don't want it now. Now, you guys got to know this is a spirit-filled, precious woman of God here. Right? So I'm not trying to paint no bad picture. She's definitely my better half. But she said some things to me there in line in front of some folks. <laughs> so I went out to the car, and I was in the car, and I was like, as soon as she gets in the car, I expect an apology. Right? So when she got in the car, I told her why I expected an apology, because I had got my feelings hurt. I jumped out from behind the fence, right? I wasn't walking anyway. So she didn't apologize. She proceeded to tell me why she said what she said. (laughs) Needless to say, I was ate up with it. I'm talking about ate up with it. Passive aggressive, mad about it. We drove for like another four or five hours. I don't even think I talked to her. (laughs) Now, we were going to meet some family, and and some of this family ain't saved. Man, I'm supposed to shine. I'm supposed to look like Jesus Christ. (laughs) What I had basically done was I took myself off the the playing field of Christianity. I was sitting on a bench. And so I just pouted and sucked my thumb the whole day. The next morning, at like 8 o'clock in the morning, it was almost exactly 24 hours from the time that it happened, she rolls over and she taps me on the shoulder and she goes, you know what, I didn't really mean that yesterday. I'm sorry. And like right then I was like, shh. Oh, man, I just felt so good. It's like this thing just lifted off me. I was like, man, I really needed to hear that. And Holy Ghost said, why did you have to hear an apology for you to be okay? Why? Because I was way deceived. And I'm preaching this to you. I think I preached it the Sunday before it happened. Right? Shh. She and what she said to me was guiding and directing me and had authority in my life to address my. She was my Lord for 24 hours. I put her on the throne, not God. off, put Michelle up there. And she was one guiding and directing my life. Anybody ever been there? Come on. I know folks that live there. We all do. This is where if I was walking in love right then, my goal is now the next time she says something like that, which she's probably never going to. It took 24 hours to get over it last time. Next time, 23 hours, 12 hours, 10 hours, 5 hours, 5 minutes, 5 seconds. The goal is for it to not touch you. It wouldn't have touched Jesus. And you say, well, that's Jesus. No, that's love. And that's who you were created to be. that's good. I like that. (laughs) So this is the third one. Love does not take into account the evil which it suffers. And if you're reading the King James, it says, thinketh on, NIV says, keep no record of, but they all come from the same Greek phrase. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, but it means this, that you are not supposed to take an inventory, you're not supposed to despise or esteem or even think on the wrong that you have suffered at the hands of other folks. We all got a story, right? Yeah. Anybody in here ever had some wrong, put them right? I could take a piece of paper and pass it around sanctuary right now, and everybody could write their story. Yeah. And at the end of it, we read them all off and rate them 1 through 20 or whatever and give a word. What kind of life is that going to produce? Yeah. And if it don't produce life, right. it ain't from the giver of it. Yeah. Come on now. We know people who their story is their story. Right. Like some psychologists, if your psychologist ain't talking to you, some psychologists will say... That all you are is the sum total of all the events in your life. We're supposed to be the sum total of what he did for us. Not that. Right? Right, We've all had bad things happen to us. And you might say, well, uh, well, David, uh, you don't know what happened to me when I was a kid. And you're right, I don't know. But I know this. You never had your beard plucked out. You, you never had a, a crown of thorns shoved on your head for being perfect. You never had your back opened up. They beat him, and they beat him, and they beat him, right? Bible says in Isaiah 53, maybe, he was marred more than any of the sons of man. His visage more than any of the sons of man. What's that mean? Is that they beat him, and they beat him, and they beat him. They didn't just take him and crucify him. When he was on that cross... You couldn't even tell who he was. I mean, John and his mother knew who he was, and he was on the middle cross and all that. But it says his visage. He was marred more than any of the sons of man. And I often wonder, well, why'd they have to do him like that? Right? Why did they have his bad. Why'd they do that to him? It makes my heart hurt to think about that. But I know it's because when they got through with him, he didn't look anything like he did in the beginning. When sin got through with us, we didn't look anything like we were in the beginning. He had to become what we are so that we could become what he is. That's why he had to look like that. And no matter how bad we look, God never lost sight of who created who he created us to be. He never lost sight of it. If you spend too much time looking at yesterday, you're guaranteeing tomorrow it look just like it. So that's just, that's just forgiveness, right? You guys do realize, as the body of Christ, you're never allowed to be in unforgiveness, ever. Not allowed to. It's not part of it. You're not even allowed to judge it, put a grid up for it. None of that stuff. Not allowed it. God's love is unconditional, right? His forgiveness isn't unconditional. There's, there's rules to the game. You have to repent. You have to do things. But do you know that He calls us to love unconditionally and to forgive unconditionally nobody's got to say they're sorry to you for you to forgive them nobody so that's defensive love and when you stay in that parameter look how strong that thing is look how powerful that is people are not going to and i'm putting a, a target up here where we're supposed to be we ain't all there yet obviously he says be perfect right? He didn't say be pretty good. So the target is perfect. The part, to target is pure love. And that's who we're supposed to be. And when you're in that, it's a strong and powerful place to be. And then the, the, the opposite end of it is now the offensive end. Man, it's the go. It's the drive. It's the overflow of the, of the internal thing. It's the overflow of the defense. It drives us to go. It's what made you become a pastor. It's what's sending us to Africa. Right? It's the go behind our life. It's what has you going to the woman in Walmart who's limping down the aisle and saying, ma'am, you know, hey, what happened to you? Can I pray for you? You guys know that you're supposed to be doing that. If you don't know, I'm just telling you, now you're supposed to be doing it. <laughs> the Bible says to, to know the good that you're supposed to do and you don't do it, it's what? Definitely. Right? I heard a pastor say, I like to, you say, well, I, no, I'm not talking to you if this is what you say, but if this is what you say, I am going to talk to you. <laughs> well, I don't feel led. Well, I know a pastor that had a seminar, and he bought a whole bunch of fishing weights, and he passed them out to everybody that would come in, and he say, put that in your pocket. And next time you need to feel led, <laughs> you can just reach in your pocket. And now you're led to go and pray for the sick. <laughs> now you're led to love on somebody. Go. That's good. <laughs> I don't have any. i passed pass them out, but I don't have any. But that's the go in our life, right? The truth is, people don't really care what you say. They care how you live your life. And I, and I, heard, a, I heard a speaker say this one time. That he was, he was a drug addict, and he was an alcoholic, and he was a thief, and he was a liar, and he was a robber. And he had lived and stole and robbed and drugged until he had decided, I'm, I'm just going to kill myself. I don't want to live anymore. But before I do, I'm going to get the phone book out, and I'm going to flip through it, and I'm going to go to a church, and I'm going to that one. And I'm going to go talk to that pastor. I'm going to tell him what I think about his God. And I'm going to see if he can talk me out of it. So he gets in his car, and he drives to the church. And the pastor's there. And he comes into the church, and he says, just starts unloading on him. You're God this. Where was God at? You know, just like folks will do. pastor just listened to him, gave him a little advice, and finally said, okay, so let me get this right. You don't want your life anymore. And he said, that's right. He said, well, why don't you just give it to the one who does want it? So this guy didn't kill himself. He went home. And they were having band practice that night at his house. He played in the band. So he's getting high and he's getting drunk. And in the middle of it all, he looks at one of his band guys and goes, you know what, guys, I saw Jesus today. And they say, yeah, you did. Smoke another one drink some more. And he's like, no, 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 I saw Jesus today. And they like, no, you did not see Jesus today. And he said, no, I saw him. And he was in a man. And I know if he can be in that man, he can be in me. That's offensive love. That's That's the testimony we want for folks. Because we are called to give a true and accurate description of who Jesus Christ is in this world by our lives lived. We want them to say, I saw Jesus today and he was in a man. So how important is it to become love? (laughs) I'm going to actually open my Bible so we can make this a legal thing, right? (laughs) You guys are going to be like, well, I didn't see you open your Bible one time. Well, here it is. So how important is it to become love? 1 Corinthians 13 says it right here. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love. I have become as sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. This is where it gets good. Although I have the gift of prophecy. How many of you guys know that's a pretty good gift to have? It's a real good gift to have. And I understand... All mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith. So you can prophesy, you understand all mysteries. Anybody know anybody like this? All knowledge, and I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains. And the Greek says that I can continuously tell mountains to jump into the ocean. But I have not love. You know what it says? I'm nothing. Says you're nothing. Bible don't call believers nothing. If you don't have love, you're nothing. Oh, but, but it ain't done. Although I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. That's just a fancy word of saying. You go to the bank, you take all your money out of the bank, you clean out your four oh one K, you sell your boat, your deer lease. Everything you have And you bring it right here And you set it at the foot Of the cross The altar Everything you have And though I give my body To be burned Some say at the stake Some say as a martyr But I have not love It profits me nothing So it says you are nothing And you profited nothing If you don't have love First John 4, 8 says, he who does not love does not know God. Doesn't say you don't go to church. Doesn't say you don't teach Sunday school. Doesn't say you don't sing in the choir. It says if you don't love, there's only one reason why. Because you don't know him. And guess what if you don't know him? To know him and his son is what? To have eternal life. One plus one equals two. It's a big deal. Because one day, Matthew 25 talks about it. The judgment of the nations, judgment of the Gentiles, right? All of the nations will be lined up before the throne. On the right hand is going to be the sheep line, and on the left side is going to be the goat line. You guys know this story? Right? And that same pastor that was talking about he was going to kill himself. He 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 said it like this one time. He said, "I don't want to be in the sheep line one day, when it's all said and done, and look over and see somebody in the goat line that I know." Amen. And and then that person looks over and says, "Hey David, what are you what are you doing over there?" And I say, "I'm I'm just standing in the sheep line." And he says, "Well, what's a sheep line?" I said, "Well, the the sheep line is the <clears throat> line that leads to being with the Father forever. It's." It's the line that leads to heaven. And he says, well, what what line am I standing in? And you say, well, brother, you're standing in the goat line. And he says, what's a goat line? And you say, the goat line is the line that leads to eternal separation from the Lord. It's the line that leads to hell. And then he looks at you and he says, I worked with you for 25 years. (laughs) Did you know there was a goat line and a sheep line and you never said anything to me? You guys don't want that on your heart. I sure don't want it on mine. Now, there's going to be folks in that line, but we don't want them over there because of that. I don't want him over there because I was too busy doing me and too busy worried about me and too busy taking offense and getting offended and not walking in love that I never looked like anything that he would want to ask me about my life. Because I'm going to say it again. Folks don't care what you say. They care how you live your life. And our job is to clean out that line. Right? We want them all in the sheep line. And you do that by becoming love it's what you were created to be. It's who you are. Whether you know it or not. So I just want to pray for you guys. So Father, I just we just thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for for who you are. We thank you, Father, that you created us for this, that this is who we were in the beginning, and that's why you sent your son. You didn't send your son to preach a, a sermon to us and then say go do it. You He He lived the sermon, and then he said, now come follow me. And we thank you, Father, that that's the way you lined it out, that we are to become who you are. And that you showed your great love for us, Father, when you sent your Son. And, and your Son showed great love when, when he went willingly to that cross for, for us, Father, to take us out of that grave, to put your Spirit inside of us, Father, to transfer us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, Father, to, to let that Holy Spirit so shine inside of us. Father, you told us to be a, a light on a hill, to be salt and light to the world. And so, Father, I just pray that 1 Corinthians 13, you just take it and just burn it into the hearts of everybody that's here today, Father, that they would go home and that they would read this word and they would understand that this is who they were created to be. This is who you made them to be, and you don't make mistakes. We just love you, Father, for who you are and everything you've done. Father, we love you not for what you can give us, for what you've already given us. We just love you in Jesus name amen